This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Hey, y'all. My, my name is Aaron Thomas. I'm one of the associate pastors here at West Concord, and we're glad um, that, that you are gathering with us in whatever way you are uh, to worship the Lord and to, to spend time in His Word today. The longer we've been in this season of, of kind of COVID and isolation, I've realized how much uh, I, I want to belong and how good it feels to belong somewhere. Uh, Outside of my family, I think sports was the first place where I felt a sense of belonging because I'd be on a team and I had a position, so I had a job to do. I had people who wanted to rely on me or needed to rely on me, and they had expectations out of me and and held me accountable for those, and I had people who hurt with me when I hurt, and they rejoiced with me when I rejoiced. Uh, In a lot of ways, teams feel like families, and Unfortunately, I've also uh, played on teams that didn't feel like that at all. I had coaches who uh, did not like kids, it seemed like, and, or would be really frustrated when we, when we didn't perform in a certain way, and, or coaches who didn't really understand the game, and so then they would be mad at us, or at teammates who are really selfish and hard to play with, hard to get along with. Um, and and those, there, there's no belonging there. There's no sense of belonging in that. Uh, places that should provide a sense of belonging don't always. So uh, teams, clubs, neighborhoods, even churches and families can, can break and fail uh, to meet the need that we have to belong. The desire to belong is how we all end up doing stupid things when we're teenagers. Um, hopefully you remember what it was like to be a teenager, so you have grace for teenagers in your life. Um, but I remember getting the cops called on me. And I was at a local school with a group of friends. I was a senior in high school, and we were playing on the playground, and somebody had the idea that we should steal the signs off of the school building that, that directed people to different places. And, and I remember, I still remember what it felt like to sit on the hot asphalt with patrol cars idling next to me as I inhaled their, their fumes, and I sat in complete silence listening to my friends lie through their teeth to try to get us out of trouble. And, and I did all of that because I, I wanted to belong so badly that I let my personal convictions fly out the window. Uh, the, de- the desire to belong is how people end up in gangs, which may sound crazy, uh, but I want to read this to you. It's from an article from The Guardian from 2008. It says, Gangs provide units of security in a world too dangerous for individuals alone. They provide their young members with structure and routine. They give them role models, a sense of identity, and a feeling of belonging. And that sounds a lot like a family. It sounds a lot like what the church should be. And and reading that made me ask this question that, Are we committed to one another at West Concord in this way? Am I committed to you in, in this way? Because church, it's, it's a shame that gangs would provide a greater sense of belonging than, than the gatherings of God's people uh, on the earth. It can't, it can't be this way. Uh, and before we go blaming other people, because you've probably had negative experiences in the church, before we blame others or blame the system or the structure or whatever, we need to spend some time being self-reflective. And you may have noticed that culturally we, we've been kind of uh, turning more and more inwardly over time. Uh, many places that where we found belonging are, are just going away because people aren't going into those spaces anymore. And COVID has certainly contributed to that. But even before COVID hit, 
culturally, we were drifting further from one another rather than closer to one another. Uh, And we can blame a number of things on this, like technology or a a hyper-individualism. But as Christians, we know that the root of our inward focus and the root of our selfishness is our own sin. It's a desire we have to be in control, to be the one in charge, to be the one calling the shots. And that same desire drove Adam and Eve to, to eat the one fruit that God told them not to eat in the garden all those years ago. There's a war going on within us all the time that we feel in our bones because we were designed to be part of a larger whole, but then we also have this conflicting desire for autonomy and control that make it really impossible to to exist inside a group. Those two things can't go on at the same time. We end up crippling our own ability to belong. We see it in families when when they split because husbands and wives can't... uh, serve one another. They won't mutually sacrifice for one another. They fail to work together and they split. Or or children, as they get older, they pull further from the home because they're looking for belonging in other places rather than seeing it and experiencing it in the home where they were raised. Or we see it in in workplaces because co-workers, instead of thinking about themselves as being part of that greater whole and working together for a common good, they, they just only think about advancing up uh, some kind of corporate rung and it's hard to work with those people or neighbors who hold grudges with one another. And so then they build fences instead of reconciling and uniting their families. Uh, Churches fail to reach agreements over direction or methods or pettier things than that and the churches split. We see it all the time. We need reprogramming. We need the reconciling work of the gospel to establish and heal our relationships with one another. And that brings us to the book of Philemon, which we're going to spend time in today and then also next week. So Philemon is a short letter that Paul wrote to a wealthy man who lived in Colossae and he hosted a church in his home. Uh, It's a really short letter. It's one of the shortest books of the Bible. Uh, But like my five foot one and three quarter inch wife, she always makes me include the three quarter inch. Uh, It carries quite a punch in a small package. And it's it's a personal correspondence between Paul and Philemon. uh, And it was meant to be read out loud to him, to his family, and to the church that gathered in his home. And it can be easy for us to to dismiss things like this because of the personal nature of it. Uh, We think it doesn't apply to us or it's irrelevant. And that is unfortunate. We've got to fight that mindset because we'll miss the beautiful and weighty truth that's found in it if we think that way. Uh, In this letter, Paul makes a, a bold request of Philemon. And it's concerning a complicated relationship that he has. And we're going to spend more time talking about the specifics of that request and that relationship next week. But before Paul gets there, he spends time laying a foundation for understanding how he could make that bold request in the first place. So before we get into the word, I'm going to pray for us. So pray with me. God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to spend time in your word today. God, we thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. Uh, and God, we, we need you to help us understand it. God, you are the one holding all things together right now. You are the one making it possible for me to speak. You are the one keeping my heart beating. You are the, you are the one um, holding, holding everything together. So God, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Help us to understand uh, your word and what you have to say to us through it today. And we love you and we praise you. Amen. Okay, so the first thing that I want you to see is that we, we belong. We have a belonging to one another. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. So Philemon has no chapters. It's just one chapter. It's only verses, 25 verses. So verses 1 and 2. 
And I want you to notice the words that Paul chooses to describe the individuals here. So it says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So first, Paul identifies himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. It's why we think that Paul... Paul wrote this letter from uh, prison. We're not sure exactly which prison stay it was, but most scholars think that he was in Rome at the time when he wrote this. Um, So that aside, look at the intimacy in the way that Paul refers to these people. So Timothy, our brother. And and when I hear people refer to one another as brother, I'm always encouraged by that because God blessed me with a brother who's, he's just a good, he's always been, well, that's not true. He's punched me um, more times than I can count. Most of them I deserved. Um, but he's a good brother to me, um, and I'm, I'm glad to have him in my family. He's faithful. He's hardworking. He's willing to love others and, and be vulnerable. He's willing to fight for hard things when it's necessary. And so brother is this, this intimate uh, title that he gives to Timothy, who's sending this letter with Paul. Um, and then Philemon, he calls him our beloved fellow worker, or some translations may say beloved co-worker or laborer. Uh, and I, if you've worked multiple jobs, you've had co-workers that you tolerated and co-workers you didn't like, co-workers that you did like, and then you've probably and hopefully had co-workers that you loved. And you built a solid relationship with them that lasted beyond your, your time working together. And, and I've been blessed with those types of relationships. Those people feel like family to me even now. And so a beloved co-worker, a beloved fellow worker, this is a, a, a close bond, people who share difficulty together and are united by it. And then Aphia, our sister, and I've also been blessed with a good sister. Uh, so when people refer to one another as sister, uh, it's always encouraging to me. My sister loves the Lord. She's a lot like my brother, um, but she's loving and she's willing to fight for what is right. And she loves the Lord. Um, and then Archippus, our fellow soldier. Um, I've never served in the military. I know people who have served in the military, but when you talk to them about uh, their brothers and sisters in arms, people who they served with, you can, you can feel the bond that they have with one another. If, if they did uh, combat together, that, that united them. And uh, my wife, Jenna, has a, a grandfather. He passed away um, years ago. I was never able to meet him, but um, he served in the military. And then long after he got out, he would drive yearly, regularly, to meet the men uh, who he spent time serving with. There was a, a bond between them that happened through combat. And uh, Afia, for just reference, is probably Philemon's wife. And then uh, Archippus is likely their son or another leader and elder in the church. But the titles that Paul uses here um, are, are close and intimate. There's clearly a bond that, fa- that Paul feels between himself and this group. Uh, Paul felt that they belonged to one another. They're part of the same family or the same team. Um, it's clear also that Paul doesn't view his, his faith as something that's solely personal, but something that is shared with others. Because in this text, he uses our four different times in those verses. These, they're not just Paul's friends and family. They're one another's friends and family. And so may we view each other at West Concord in this way. And then also it's addressed to the church in your house. So I mentioned Philemon's home was where a church was, was hosted, a church gathered there. It was obviously large enough to do that. Um, and right now we're in a weird season where we 
can't gather fully in our building here at West Concord. So some of you are gathering in your homes. And, and I want to encourage you that meeting in homes is not second class. And I'm not talking about like waking up on Sunday morning and barely skimming through the first 10 minutes of a sermon and then bailing out on it and scrolling through Facebook or watching football instead. Like if you are worshiping by yourself or with your family at home and spending time in the word at home, and that's what you have to do in this season, then, then praise God for that. Do it. Keep doing it. Uh, if you're comfortable or able, I want to encourage you to reach out to another family. If you were in a Sunday school class here, maybe a family from, from there or another family in the church, and gather together in one another's homes and work through the worship guide that we have online. Sing those, those songs of praise and turn the volume up loud to drown yourselves out. That's what I need to do personally. Um, but read the scripture, listen to the sermon, and then talk about it. How are we going to live this out in our lives? How, how is this going to affect my relationship with my spouse or with my children or my, my, my neighbors, my coworkers, uh, the, the people I meet in the grocery store? Um, home worship in this way is not ideal. It's not the ideal, but it doesn't make you a lesser Christian if you're unable to gather here or at, at a church campus in this season. We're, we're family and we need one another. Um, we will gather together again on campus here at West Concord. But in the meantime, do not just sit and wait for that. You, you can't push pause on those relationships. You need those relationships, especially now in this season where we're, we're isolated and everything is weird. Um, so we belong to one another, but now where does that belonging come from? Because if it's rooted in shared experiences or common interests or even family ties, that, that can fail. And so our belonging is rooted in belonging to our God. In verse three, it says, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to gloss over this. These, these first opening verses in letters from Paul, letters in the New Testament, it's easy to just kind of scroll over those things and move on and try to get to the meat of the letter. But there are foundational truths, rich truth that we need to remind ourselves of and soak in no matter how many times we've heard it. So grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is reminding Philemon, and the others in that church, that they've received grace from God through Jesus. The Bible teaches us that we are saved by grace through faith in Ephesians 2.8, and we cannot, cannot in any way ever earn God's favor. We cannot earn His, His blessing, but it's extended to us as a free gift through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is the only one who has ever lived a perfectly sinless life, which made it possible for Him to take on our sin and pay the penalty for it so that we could have life. And the cross where He died was a horrible, a horrible way to die. But the most painful thing about that was not physical it was that he took the, the cup of God's wrath. It was poured out on him for our sin, and he drank every last drop of it for you and for me. And he declared, it is finished, and then he died. But praise God, he did not stay dead. He rose from the grave to give us life, and to give us belonging in God's family. He took our place as sinners so that we could then step into His place as children of God, as sons and daughters of God. The ultimate belonging is obtained through our Savior Jesus, who was re rejected in the worst way so we could be called children of God and call one another family. The ultimate belonging 
is not found in anything in this life. It's obtained through our Savior Jesus who was rejected in the worst way so we could be called children of God and call one another family. Our relationships are the most secure when they are rooted in this truth, when they are rooted in the grace and peace of the gospel of Jesus. So Paul says grace to you and he says peace from God because Paul knows that peace is not something that comes naturally to people. It doesn't come naturally in families. It's got to be worked for and, and sometimes fought for. Like right now, our kids are three, four, and five years old. And when we sit down for family meals, it can feel more like battle than like any sort of peaceful encounter or peaceful, peaceful meal. Uh, we're trying to teach our kids right now that they're part of a team, that we as a family are part of a team. Our family is not a collective of individuals who, who are looking out for themselves, but a team of people who embrace the roles that they've been given and look out for the good of others. So for us, that means helping our kids understand that they're not always going to get the color plate that they want at supper time. Sometimes someone else is going to get that color plate. It also means that we have to help them understand that when we ask them to take one more bite of the vegetables that they don't want to eat before getting down from the table, that sitting in your chair and screaming as you cry is not fair to the rest of the family. We've got to teach our kids that. And it's our hope that teaching them to understand what it means to be family will help them understand what it means to be the church and part of the church. We need to fight for peace within our family here at West Concord and with other churches in the community. And belonging to God motivates us to pursue that peace. And I'm not talking about like a fake kind of peace where everybody just gets along all the time because that, that sometimes gets thrown around where people think that you are not a peaceful person or they'll, they'll accuse you or blame you of um, disrupting the peace when all you're trying to do is work out problems. Uh, real peace does not avoid problems. It, it walks through those things and fights through those things to maintain unity on the other side. So the, the kind of peace we're talking about is the kind that will unite Republicans and Democrats. It will unite white people and black people. It will unite American citizens and immigrants. And it will unite them under the soul-saving and life-changing blood of Jesus. And I want to pause here because I realize that when we say church is family and we talk about that, uh, that doesn't hit home for, for everyone. Or, or you may have a... a unfortunate understanding of what that means because maybe your family, your, your blood family was not a healthy one. It wasn't a good one. So when we talk about church being family, you don't like that idea. Or maybe you've been at church and been hurt by people in the church. So when we talk about the church being family, your experience doesn't reflect that. And so if you fall in one of those two places, I want to encourage you, it's going to be hard for you and maybe harder for you to fight through that and maintain unity and to, to be vulnerable and open yourself up and, and realize that, that you belong to others and live that out. But it's worth it. Don't give up that fight. Remember who unites us because it is not each other. It's, it's not our shared experience. It's not our common interest. It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Through the bloat, broken body and shed blood of Jesus. We belong to God and to one another. You belong. You belong because of Jesus. And therefore, anyone can belong because of Jesus. It's not on merit. It's not on what you have to offer, though you do have something to offer. You belong solely because of the grace extended to us in the death and resurrection of our King Jesus and through the faith that you place in Him. If you look for belonging in any other place, it may satisfy you for a little while. 
you, you may feel satisfied, you may feel a part of it, but ultimately it's going to leave you out in the cold. Or you'll be sitting on the hot asphalt like the teenage version of myself, just with a stomach full of regret as you, as you inhale the fumes of, of the problem that you've created because you, you've compromised everything you believe in just to keep someone's affection. The creator of the universe is calling you to a belonging that is greater and deeper than any other earthly relationship. And incredibly, that belonging makes earthly relationships sweeter too. It doesn't make them perfect, but it makes a way for us to endure the hardships with grace and strengthen our bonds with others. In order for our relationships to strengthen, we have to remember that we belong to God, that we belong to one another, and that we belong to a new way of life. Our old way is, a destruct, is destructive to our relationships and community, and this new way brings life through Christ. So we have a belonging to a new way of life. We'll look in verse 4. It says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. And let's remember who's writing this, because this is written by Paul, and Paul was formerly known as Saul, and Saul was a, a prominent Jew. He was a member of the Pharisees. And he was really good at what he did. The Pharisees were a group of religious leaders who um, put the weight of the law on people's shoulders. And they, they themselves felt like they kept the law to a degree that made them better than the people around them. And so when we see Paul writing these words saying, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, we can see the fact that Paul is living out a new way of life here. When Jesus talks about, he tells a parable in Luke 18 about a, a Pharisee praying. And this is the way the, the Pharisee prays in that parable. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And, and rather than this kind of selfish prayer, what we see here is Paul with his tender heart expressing love and gratitude for others. It's an example of him belonging to a new way of life. And then in verse 5, Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. So Paul says, I'm thankful for you because of this. He's given a specific praise to Philemon. This is something that, that I know I personally need to grow in. Because this is not just a, hey, good job kind of comment. And it, it's not that it feels bad to have somebody say good job to you, but when someone specifically praises you for something that you did, it feels different. It, it carries more weight. And Paul here is encouraging Philemon with, with Scripture. He's, he's encouraging Philemon with truths from Scripture. Um, it's difficult to do this sometimes because acknowledging that someone else is good at something feels like it hurts our pride. It's like we're saying, you're better than, than me at this. Uh, and we got to get over that and, and mutually encourage one another and build one another up. Belonging to God through the gospel enables us to lay down our pride and offer genuine praise to others without fear of what it means for our status. Um, so when uh, Paul gives this specific praise to Philemon, he, he mentions his love and faith for Jesus and the saints. And Jesus himself tells us that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. Paul is affirming Philemon. And remember, this letter was supposed to be read out loud to Philemon, to, to the people in his home. And so he's encouraging Philemon in front of these other people that his living proves that he does indeed love God and love others. 
Church, our faith is personal, but it is not ever meant to be private. We're going to talk more about that next week as we get into the rest of this letter, but we got to reject the notion that we can mentally assent to a knowledge of, or a set of beliefs um, and then act however we want. It, if we believe the gospel, it's going to impact everything about our lives, the way we act, the way we speak, the decisions we make uh, about where we live, where we work, what we watch, what we listen to, how we relate to others. It's all affected by the gospel. If we believe the gospel, it changes everything. We continue in verse 6. He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And this sentence is convoluted and, and doesn't make sense at first reading. Um, it's, it's very Paul-like to do something like this in a letter. Um, I'm going to read this a slightly different way. It's like he's saying, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So Paul is encouraging Philemon that his faith is doing something in him that is meant to be lived out and shared with others. There's an effect that's happening internally that's meant to be displayed externally with other people. Uh, Christ is doing a work in you that's meant to be lived and shared. And it's not just uh, share your testimony. That is a good thing. And you need to be telling people about why you believe that the gospel is true and explaining it to them and sharing that with them. Absolutely do that. But we're talking about a different type of sharing here. It's, it's a, a shared living and a shared work. It's something that we have to do together. We, we can't do it by ourselves. No one in Christ is an island. No one can become like Jesus alone. No, no one can effectively make disciples over years by doing that alone. God created us for one another. Paul wrote this knowing that it was going to be read out loud in the church and that Philemon was going to need the accountability of the people around him. So as he gets into the request that he's going to make next week, uh, he knows that the people listening to that are then going to follow up with Philemon and say, hey, you know, Paul wrote you this letter and he, he challenged you to do this. Uh, and we need one another. So let's lean into these relationships that we have with each other. Let's work together to become more like Jesus and watch his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven because we belong to God and we belong to one another. And how sweet would it be to have someone speak the words of verse 7 over your life? It says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. That, that right there is belonging. Not only are you one of us, but I'm glad you are because I see you loving and encouraging others. The, the gospel change that we're talking about was evident in Philemon's life, and, and Paul is encouraging him in that. And so then the, the question for me, for you, is if, if you're a believer, is the gospel change evident in your life? Do people see that in you? When Jesus spoke to his disciples in John 13, 35, he said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Do you think people can, can look at you and the way you live and think to themselves, man, that's one of those Christians. That, that is a Christ follower right there because of the way they see you loving others in the church. I want to encourage you in that. If, if you don't, haven't believed the gospel, I encourage you to believe it already. Uh, experience belonging with God and belonging with His people. And if you have believed it, then let it change you 
and drive you to love others in a radical way. We belong to God, we belong to each other, and therefore we belong to a new way of living. Let this be true of us, church. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.